0: Hey guys, what's up? It is week 290. I'm actually recording this on Thanksgiving. Oh, so happy Thanksgiving, although it will probably go up Wednesday. Um, for Patreons, it might be a little late it might go up like Saturday morning Friday Friday late late it depends how fast I can get this done obviously with uh, the holiday things kind of change a little bit so uh, first up we're not having a universal one this week a uh, short week for me and, and just not a lot of time to cram anything in it might take a couple week hiatus we'll be back with it I'm pretty sure and regardless if if not you know I'll continue something along the lines of the universal show um, so let's hop into the reviews and we have a few new releases for you the first one up is going to be Heartland of Darkness, which um, what year was this originally started? 1989, but it kind of wasn't completed until this year. There was like incomplete versions floating around for years, um, but the, the, there's a lot of rays on Letterbox that are for the incomplete version. Really not fair. It wasn't like scored properly or anything like that. This is the eighth release from Visual Vengeance, and um, honestly, this is one of my favorites that they've done. So yeah, this is kind of by a lot of the same people that worked on Beyond Dream's Door from 1989. You guys know the Jay Wolfle movie, which Vinegar Syndrome put out. A great movie. Very... Very regional, amazing uh, Ohio horror film. And it has some of the same people in here that worked on it. You know, I think the same DP, Nick Boulderash, is in here from Beyond Dreams Door. He plays a cult leader. So this is great. So Heartlands of Darkness, for me, is a very low-budget film, you know. But it has this amazing regional Ohio quality. Being from Ohio, I immediately connect with this sort of thing. Linnea Quigley is also in it. For years, it was kind of known as the lost Linnea Quigley movie. Hey, what about Blood Cult, or it was an AK name, or Heartlands of Darkness? Where is this movie? You know, people always ask her about it. And now finally, there's even an interview with the she mentions all this kind of stuff on there. So, okay, what we have here is... You know, a lot of low-budget movies kind of follow this kind of, like, storyline in there. But I would say this is more of adult-oriented horror just on the, the the kind of idea and the way it unfolds. So we have this uh, big-time reporter who's moved to a small town trying to get away from it all, right? He moves into this small town and opens a newspaper right away, right? Like, the first day, there's a violent murder. And the murders here are really actually very graphic, you know? Um, they show a lot of the post stuff. It's not actually showing the murders, but the post stuff felt real, and maybe it's just like the quality that I, I could look and the way it was shot and everything like that. I believe this was shot on film and then edited on tape, if I'm not mistaken. The quality solid. You know, it is, you know, the visual vengeance usually deal with kind of, you know, I, I don't want I've shot on videos and the elements aren't always there. So that's kind of like their MO. Um, so um, along with stuff like, you know, inner vision or massacre video, a lot of times we'll have to handle that kind of stuff. So the the murder scene is actually vicious you know it just looks genuinely real and unnerving and they use real guts the real guts this add like a kind of Uh, a kick to it and they have like a lot of police cars and ambulances and stuff and right away in that first scene i was like this seems very you know well put together very ambitious and that kind of dug i kind of dug into the story right away so we have this reporter um this guy who runs this newspaper in the small town and the small town is odd it's weird and i mean it's called heartlands of darkness which is a perfect title for it and blood cults the other title so you kind of get what's going on here this small town has an evil influence on it is it nick balderash the cult leader you probably know it is they don't really hide it it's right there center and front you know and uh, even the murder in the very beginning gives you all this <laughs> so as they start to dig you know a new a new reporter from a bigger town comes in and helps them and all these other people and pretty soon they're they're looking into this mystery while well, a bunch of people end up dead the story gets darker and grittier and nastier it does share some similarities to blood cult I would say just the idea of the the thing, but um the, the cop looking into the call, everything, but this, I feel is better. You know I mean? I think the ritualistic stuff in here is more gory and it just has a nastier touch to it. You'll notice the janitor from beyond dreams door plays kind of this like super priest in here. So like I said, a lot of the same familiar faces from beyond dreams door. If you're a fan of that one, which I am, I think you'll really dig heartlands of darkness. If you're a fan of like kind of these low budget regional horror films, this one's definitely for you. Now, when they went back and edited it, they did add some digital effects and change some things around on there because they needed to complete the film. Now, I believe that the director works at like, a, you know, Ohio State College for film, if I'm not mistaken, or a lot of the people that work there. I know the cinematographer does, <laughs> works in film and that kind of stuff maybe possibly teaches film but uh, I think that students help kind of complete this film which is kind of cool there's tons of special features on here I should mention there is, a, there is a bit of nudity here and there in the film I know a lot of people do that so this is what we have new director supervised SD master from original tape and film elements D- deeper into the darkness new 40 minute behind the scenes documentary This that is great because they talk about the history of the film, how it came together, they have news footage, they have tons of people that are still alive talking about it, including actors, cinematographers, you know. And it's just a really nice uh, supplemental thing that really gives the movie context and adds a lot to the release itself. Uh, commentary with director Eric Swastar, star Nick Balderash, cinematographer Scott Spears, and composer Jay Wolfel. Now, Jay Wolfel directed Beyond Dream Store. Scott Spears was the cinematographer on Beyond Dreams Door. Nick Balderash was the main star in Beyond Dream Store. And I'm sure I'm Eric Swellstead had something to do with it, too. Commentary of Tony Strauss of Wang Chop Magazine. Linnea Quigley Remembers. That's a new interview. And then we have an archival interview with Linnea Quigley, which is cool from close-up TV interview. It's it's fairly long, too. 25 minutes or so. Original TV spots, trailers, behind the scenes footage, complete original Fallen Angels 1990 work print. Um, and then there's a commentary track as well. The Making of Fallen Angels, Vintage Cast and Crew News Interviews, Blood Church Original disp- Distribution, Promotional video, behind-the-scenes image gallery, six-page liner notes, Phantasm magazine, expert director spotlight, limited edition, Heartlands of Darkness prayer cloth, limited edition slipcase, collectible, Linnea Quigley folded mini posters, sticker on VHS sticker set, Visual Avengers trailers, reversible sleeve featuring original blood, blood Church promotional art optional English subtitles. This bad boy is loaded. And, uh, you know, I put it right up there with Necrophiles and a Japanese bodybuilder from hell. I feel like those are like two or three of their finest releases. I think they're all really entertaining, and I dig them. What else they got? I got it sitting right up there. I just made a section for Visual Vengeance because I'm really digging what they're doing. Heartlands of Darkness. This is really cool. I love this one. I, I was very happy with it. Okay, the next one up is by Rolf Kaczynski, and this is Nightmare Man from Ronin Flicks. Now, you guys know his name, I assume, from stuff like, you know, um, There Is Nothing Out There, which Vinegar Syndrome put out, and that is kind of like, you know, a lot of people give it the precursor to Scream, a lot of these horror tropes and setting it out and being a comedic kind of deal. He also did Black Room, which came out a few years ago that I think MVD distributed or Cleopatra, and that wasn't too bad at all. So Nightmare Man actually was one of the eight films to die for. I don't remember if it was in the second or the first festival. I believe it was the second. And I actually didn't see all those movies. I saw a handful here and there. Um, This stars Tiffany Shepes. Everybody loves Tiffany Shepes. A great scream queen. um, Amazing to look at. Amazing performances. You know, just tough and and very fun. You know, you see her in interviews. She's got a good attitude. She just seems like a genuinely cool person. (laughs) So Nightmare Man. Um, right right away i noticed it, it it's it's 2006 so this is not my favorite time for american cinema you know like i always say 1997 1996 to like 2006 2007 it's real rough for me when it comes to american cinema i just a horror cinema it's just not very good like i know that there's a lot of great non-horror films and there's a lot of good foreign horror films that time But, and Independence, like there's a couple here and there that really rock the world, but there's just, it's just my least favorite time for film in general, for horror films. So, Nightmare Man fits kind of right into that mold for me. I don't particularly like how it looks and that kind of stuff, and just the style and all that kind of stuff. Although, it's not an absolutely horrible movie, and it does, you know, have a lot of similarities to home invasion films, you know, even. From like um, you're next with the crossbow and all this kind of stuff in a home invasion scene, it, it feels very similar to that. So basically, what we have here is a woman who suffers from a lot of so, so seemingly psychological damage, and her uh, strange husband. Um, it's just like he's like a, a, a strange actor to be honest. Let's put his performance is very strange, and she orders this mask is supposed to help her. Apparently, they send her this weird sexual ritual mask, and she's terrified of it. Does not like it. And uh, on the way to be committed to a mental institution, um, their car breaks down. He has the mask with her. He tosses the mask into the woods to go kind of get gas or whatever because he forgot gas because he's a jackass. And what happens is, um, you know, this mask, which she imagines attacking her in nightmares and stuff like that, uh, somebody starts attacking her with this mask after she threw it in the woods. She thinks it's a demon. Is it a demon? We don't know. She stumbles on this cabin in the woods with a group of four people that are kind of hanging out and everything. One of those is Tiffany Shepes. They're kind of getting, you know, loose and drawn and all these kind of things, and boom, she runs into them. They're unsure of her. They find out, get a hold of her husband, but this guy outside, this demon outside, is attacking them. Now, at first, there's a couple twists and turns, and I like the twists and turns in this because it's not such an obvious twist. It is, it is, it is, but then they go a little further with it and change some things around, and it kind of makes it a little bit more refreshing, a little bit more different, and adds a flair to it. Now, this director is fairly solid. He's done a bunch of horror movies. They're not ever particularly bad. A lot of them are low budget. Um, I'm not the hugest fan of there's nothing out there and that's just just me in general like i think it's clever i think it's fun and i think it's way ahead of its time and it needs it deserves its props and i only saw it the one time so i definitely would revisit and i definitely could see myself coming around on it and really liking it um but, you know, I, I remember enjoying The Black Room. Nightmare Man, I'm, I'm kind of torn in the middle. To me, it, it's it's there's a lot of things I don't care for, but when they have some twists and turns, they add an element to it. They have uh, some gore, and they have some decent practical effects, and they have some nice twist, which I did enjoy. So, I, I'm kind of coming down in the middle. I think it's maybe worth a slight recommend if you're into these films, or if you know about Nightmare Man. Um, the Blu-ray, it looks pretty solid. You know, it's not a, you know, it's I told you, it's not a perfect time for film for me, so, like, the visual stuff doesn't really pop to me and everything like that. So, um we have a new interview interview featurette there's something out there the making of nightmare man that's pretty long that's like i think 40 minutes if i'm not mistaken As you know tiffany shepes and some of the other actors and actresses in the film of course and rolf kaczynski kaczynski or obviously his name kaczynski it's not kaczynski not ted kaczynski but kane Kazinski. um and he like i said he's an interesting guy he knows a lot about horror films and he talks about how this one came together going through the eight films after dark and all that kind of stuff so it's an interesting making of it adds context again so it's a nice release if if you like the film if you're not into the film um you know obviously it's probably not going to be something you want to dig into if you want to re like re like fresh your memory on it maybe check it out i was okay with it you know i i don't know if i'd give it another watch maybe i would maybe i wouldn't i definitely will give his other films another watch and maybe i'll come around to this one uh eventually but there's some other features as well i should mention creating a nightmare the making of nightmare man i believe that's the original making of extended scenes tiffany behind the scenes flubbing a nightmare gag reel still galleries promo reel new audio commentary Featuring the film score, audio commentary director Rolf Kaninsky, uh, producer Esther Goldstein, and cast member Tiffany Shepes. So that's pretty cool. So if you're a fan of the movie, it's a nice release to have. So Nightmare Man. Okay, here we go. This is the first 4K of VCI. Now, a lot of people always complain, companies like VCI or Full Moon will drop the ball in certain releases. So, you know, I'm going to be honest. uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things is the film. It's directed by Bob Clark, 1972. I think his first feature-length film um, directing job, his first horror movie, um, very iconic horror film. Bob Clark went on to do Black Christmas, Death Dream, Porky's Christmas Story, Murder by Decree. The guy's got Baby Geniuses. He's got a huge long list. Of films he made, a lot of iconic, a lot of classics. He's a very good and capable director, and he's made some great films. So um, this one is where it kind of all started. Um, Alan Ormsby is a big part of this movie; he stars in it, he helped write it, and did special effects on it. So it's like we got this crew, this crew that came from, you know, I think mostly Florida area, you know, and, and they're making movies. And, and and Bob Clark is a huge part of horror history. So, anyways, getting into like the uh, release of this film, the release history of this movie. I'm going to be honest; I had this DVDs of this and Blu-rays. And children shouldn't play with dead things has never been a particularly good-looking film. It's low budget, I imagine elements aren't perfect. Um, this looked better than I've ever seen it. I'm sure that people that are vastly familiar with children shouldn't play with dead things would point out, you know, problems with it. But as far as I'm concerned, I remember Blu-ray DVDs in particular looking really off-colored, really gross. and just not well done. There is no HDR in here, you know. I don't know if they skipped out on that. But uh, so, so basically, yeah. Um, this it, this is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things Nobody's ever seen it Heavily influenced by Night of Living Dead from 1968 We have a group of like eight or so um, Theater geeks Hippie things Led by Alan Ormsey Who is a complete dick He has these people basically under his control At you know uh, Threatening to fire them from their job So B basically takes him on this island And he wants to do all these weird kind of antics Where he's digging up bodies And causing all this mischief um, His band of characters are very strange Very bizarre I think his actual wife at the time Uh, Ayla ormsey I can't think of her name She is uh, this one character that's just kind of out of it You guys ever remember the 70s character that's just out of it Think Lynn Laurie from any movie from the 70s Think Let's Scare Jessica to Death, uh, the lead actress in that Just out of it, they're just completely out of it And I love that character type, she's great in it And then you have some other familiar people Not familiar, but just kind of zany, weird people And for the first 45 minutes or so An hour and like 26 minute movie It's kind of like buildings. Like I guess there's a good atmosphere on it. The cemetery is creepy on this island and you're learning how big of Dixie's characters are and they're going these rituals and you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting and eventually when it does happen the dead do rise. You have the siege part and you have some really great camera work that's absolutely terrifying. The part where they go over the grave and all the zombies are rising from the grave in the wide angle I think that's a tremendous shot. I think it's the stuff that nightmares are made of. The thing about children shouldn't play with dead things. I would put it in the same caliber as something like The Child from 1977 where these are movies that belong at midnight, where you're staying up real late and it's past midnight. You're half asleep. You put this on and you're in a haze. You're in it. You're hypnotized by it. And you're like, what the hell am I watching? This is so stupid. And then by the forty-minute mark, you're like intrigued. You're terrified, and it traumatizes you in this weird kind of way. And um, and and this movie is perfect for that. I think it's just one of those genuine kind of strange oddity films that's just bizarre and happens to be directed by someone who would go on to make two greatest two of the greatest horror films ever made, in my opinion. Death Dream and Black Christmas they're fucking fantastic and, and do other things as well like I said Porky's had it's moments and, and of course I mean it's time I should say and Christmas Story as well is an iconic film so it's just kind of a strange piece it's a strange film as far as like I said the picture quality it looks better than I've ever seen it and I'm sure other people can point out problems with it but I'm not going to be able to because I'm you know my history with the film is you know probably watching it on DVD here and there over a couple times over 20-25 years but uh, yeah I have I, I always had a, kind of a, a slight affinity for the film and it grows. It grows with this release. Um, What I really liked about this release is they have a 90 minute video documentary, Dreaming of Death, Bob Clark's horror films. Now this is from the 101 release. It says 101 at the end and it has people that work with Bob Clark, you know tons of people on here um, that I really enjoyed, you know, seeing their input on there. assistant directors, you know, composers but the one person that really shined for it for me was Chris Alexander. Now, Chris Alexander is a director himself, a Canadian director, if I'm not mistaken, which adds an element because a lot of Bob Clark's movies were made in Canada although Bob Clark is not Canadian they were made in Canada, so um, they they go over, you know, the films he produced the films he directed, including, of course, Children Play With Dead Things, Death Dream, Black Christmas Derange, which is a great film uh, Murder by Decree, Porky's Christmas story all that kind of stuff they brush on all these movies um, rhinestone so so the thing is um, they go over this and, and you know Chris Alexander's in here and you know I've heard him on some commentaries in their early commentaries more a joke kind of commentaries so but you know when he gets to flex his you know his horror history knowledge it's pretty impeccable when it comes to Bob Clark he has a lot to say about him it's all interesting it's all well done and I was happy that he was a part of this release because you need to have the kind of the historian in there and he was a good choice for it because he's the you know he's from Canada. There's a couple of historians, but I think that he kind of just shined in here and understood the regional kind of filmmaking he started off as and how he grew and how he talks about his films although he loves some of the lower budget stuff you know, they get better as he went on as he got more to work with and I I do agree with that. But anyways, uh, this is a nice release that has a bunch of other stuff on here. There's a commentary which was made in 2007, moderated by David Gregory who runs Severn Films. That was nice. It had Alan Ormsby in there his ex-wife who who plays the character I mentioned before and uh, another actress in here is So that was nice to hear that. All of them sitting down talking about it. Who's passed away even that 2007. And then we also have a new 2022 Alan Orbsby fan Q&A. Commentary, Alan Orbsby, Jane Daly, and Anya Cronin. 4K original theatrical trailer. Confessions of a Grave Digger. Interview with Ken Gotch. Grindhouse Q&A. Memories of Bob Clark. A tribute to the late director. Photo gallery. Dead Girls Don't Say No. Music video by The Dead Things. Cemetery Mary. Music video by Dead Things. Fan tribute video. Special liner notes booklet with Paul McCabe. Radio spots. Plus more. So this is a, a three-disc set here. Um, I'm glad to have it. A lot of creepy zombies. The zombies are really creepy in here. And there's this great moment, spoiler, where Alan Ormsby's character Alan is running up the stairs, and he's with uh, Ayla and uh, Anya, and basically the zombies are gonna get him, and they get both of them, and he throws her down the stairs, and she's like. <gasps> And, but the zombies stop for a second and look at him too like, you're a fucking monster, it's so great, and then he runs up the stairs and locks himself in only to be killed by Orville, the zombie that they use most of the ritual stuff for it's a great movie, it's a, it's really entertaining Now it's really rough around the edges, so if that's going to be a problem for you, you might want to steer clear And uh, but I I enjoy it I love the zombie movies made from Night of the Living Dead to Dawn of the Dead, they, they have a special flair, a special quality, and there's just so many cool ones, like Let Sleeping Corpses Lie Tombs of the Blind Dead, Messiah of Evil, there's a lot of cool ones, man Just weird ones that went off the rails in the strangest ways. And uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things is one of them. Okay, the next one up is a Vinegar Syndrome release. And let me look when this one was made. I always forget. 1989. We have a lot of 89 stuff. A lot of 89 talk here. And this is... Beware Children at Play. Now, this is one i never seen. This is originally a trauma film, maybe trauma distributed, but I think it's just a trauma film in general. I, it's hard to say. I remember always the trailer. Everybody remembers, anybody that had any trauma DVDs, every time you did something interactive on the menu, you'd see a scene from Beware Children at Play. Now, I had never seen this. I thought it was time to check it out. I pop it in. I, I'm amazed how well it's been remastered for Vinegar Syndrome. I'm like, wow, I don't know if you could ever do better than this. So this is essentially kind of your deal. It's like a, a slasher, but it's also in the, in the vein of Children of the Corn, right? So we have this uh, this famous writer, I guess in a caliber of a Stephen King, who writes, Gro- his paperbacks always have gross covers, but the subject matters are fairly interesting. Him and his wife are going to meet with one of their friends whose daughter went missing in this rural area, and they're thinking that they can help the couple, you know, kind of just to help them get, you know, their bearings and stuff. They're taking their daughter with them. When they get there, they realize that several kids have disappeared from this area, and uh, we also in the very beginning, we we're like, uh, treated, I guess I'll say treated, to, you know, this young kid being left in the forest by himself while his father dies. His father was some sort of, you know, philosophical teacher or something, or literary teacher and taught him all these strange things. Um, So anyways what happens is the writer goes in here and the first thing that they do is they set up a great red herring i thought this was probably some of the strongest stuff of the film when they set up this bible salesman who gives him this big spiel and huge exposition dump that's needed i guess but his acting and his character is probably the most interesting in the movie for me so it was no problem at all he tells him about the history of the town how backwoods this town is how bible thumping this town is and how he's basically capitalizing on all that by being a bible salesman he goes into all this kind of stuff um and then we get to the town and you know The sheriff, or the deputy, I think the sheriff is this guy's friend. So essentially, they start to talk, and it's kind of talky for a while. There's a little too much downtime. But over time, we learn that you know there's several children that are going missing, and uh, these people are not going to be any different. Their kids are going to go missing too. And by the time we realize what's happening, there is a group of ravaged kids in the woods that are attacking everyone. The townsfolk, you know, in their true mob mentality, aren't going to stand for that. That's why we have this infamous scene at the very end, which anybody that's familiar with the movie probably knows. Um, it's got to be the biggest kid slaughter in a movie. The graphic stuff that several kids are killed um, several people are killed the gore is solid the gore is you know it's cheap but it's very effective there, you know guts that kind of stuff the gore is solid I enjoyed it um at the plot you know it's fine it's a children of the corn riff uh, as far as like the uh, pacing the pacings a little off I honestly think it's a little too slow in certain times but for the most part all that is decent I enjoy the movie you know it's not perfect it's not a um, horrible or anything it's a little above average for me I would watch this again I would pop this in if we ever drew 89 I wouldn't skip on beware children at play and i'm very happy i finally got to see this bad boy after years and years there are some special features on here some of which I, I i checked out we have brand new commentary track with mike cribben why don't i have children extended making of documentary featuring interviews with cast and crew that was uh, that was interesting a nice brand new interview with mike cribben archival interview with cribben reversible uh cover art and all that kind of stuff so i enjoyed this one gory nasty little fun uh take on Turtle of the corn from 89 Um, Yeah, you could do a lot worse um, for a trauma film, for sure. But, you know, I dig their old stuff, distributed or uh, made. And, you know, you could do a lot worse for a lot of 89 horror films. But this one's pretty fun. Okay, the next one is from Culture Shock. And it's been years since I watched this movie, but I always remembered enjoying it. Or having a, a certain, you know, fond memory of it. And it's Girlfriend from Hell. I love the cover art that they did with this. This is also, I think, from 89. That's weird. There's just so many 89 horror films. I must have been in the mood for late 80s. So Culture Shock is a strange label. They put out a lot of bizarre films that I've, I've covered a couple on here. You know, um, Death Collector and, uh, geez, American Scream. Both interesting movies uh, varying in terms of quality. I, I really like Great American Scream and I really like this one. So Girlfriend from Hell is more of a comedy than a horror film. It's very, you know, sex comedy in a lot of ways. over-the-top absurdity, you know, broad silliness, but it has like these horror elements. It stars um, pretty much the big actor in here for me would be Dana Ashbrook from Waxwork and Return of the Dead Part 2 and some other films as well uh, Sundown, I think he's in Sundown, Vampire and Retreat if I'm not mistaken, so essentially what happens here is we have these two kind of like nerdy people that are going to be hooked up on a blind date, we have a couple that wants to do this, the guy's like, who gives a shit, he's kind of a prick, and I should mention that every character in this movie is absolutely over the top they're absolutely ridiculous, they're absolutely hilarious to be honest, they, there's a lot of zany weird characters, a lot of great one-liners a lot of fun stuff going on, so so essentially what happens is these two are going to hook up at this party. They're supposed to meet at this birthday party for this guy named Rocco, who's a hilarious character. And what happens is, you know, it's not going to go very well. Um, there is a cameo by James Karen, who I should mention. I love James Karen. Return of the Dead, of course. You know, poltergeist, uh, move on and drive. Excellent actor, excellent character actor. He's got a very fun moment in this film. So essentially what we have here is, you know, this group of... Um, Friends are hanging out at this party at the same time as Dana Ashbrook is hunting, you know, the devil, and he's got to bring the devil back, and this is his job. So essentially, the devil escapes, it goes into, you know, this meek, shy girl, and she becomes this bombshell, crazy, um, over-the-top, beer-guzzling, wine-guzzling, you know pushing everybody around succubus and it's absolutely hilarious so at first you see all these reactions of all these people one of the couples is like a really like strict religious couple and we have these other people that are just kind of like Grocco's a goof and his girlfriend's a goof and uh, the one guy's such a prick and essentially they start getting picked off and succubist. Uh, i guess that's the best way i'll put it in hilarious detail um this lasts for about like 40 to 50 minutes of the movie this is all great stuff because the characters interacting are all the best parts of the movie they're priceless they're very very written very well in a goofy Movie, kind of zany late 80s way and then we kind of cut back to dana ashbrook showing up and we get this huge dump about his backstory this is the least interesting stuff here just because dana ashbrook's character is not as interesting to me as the other ones so he kind of like fall that stuff falls a little flat it's not horrible i like dana ashbrook but that stuff is just not as good as the other stuff going on but when we come back to kind of tie everything up it's really fun you know the restaurant stuff is brilliant the nun stuff is really funny this movie has a lot of charm it's really cute it's really clever i, I, enjoy, I enjoy it quite a bit i think a lot of people will enjoy it if you're into the late 80s stuff. Um, now, this looked fantastic. I thought that uh, it looked amazing. They did a great job in the remaster. Sound was, was Sound was okay. It wasn't perfect. It was, it was less than the, the visual quality, but it wasn't horrible. It was still good. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, um, I actually have this bad boy on VHS. We have feature-length commentary at director Daniel Peterson, interview with producer Alberto Lindsay, interviews with actors Leanne Curtis, Sarah Katie Coolgan, and Girlfriend from Hell, the musical creator Sean Matthew Whiteford, moderated by Brian Henderson of Syndrome. This was a blast to me because I didn't know this is a musical, and hearing this guy say how he adapted it was really cool. And also the interviews with the actresses and everything like that was nice. Expect Moder- Brad Henderson does a great job. Usually works for Vinegar Syndrome. Did a great job moderating these. He has affinity obviously for the movie, and he did a good job. And he brought out some good questions and stuff. And they're beefy. They're not super short interviews. They're, some of them are a little shorter, but some of them are a little longer too. I mean, he, they're a little bit more in depth than some interviews, I'd say. Girlfriend from Hell music video featuring set f- photographs, steel gallery, cast, audition footage. To- taken from original VHS tape, remastered original trailer from Girlfriend from Hell, Culture Shock releasing trailer. So anyways, uh, amazing slipcover. If you've never seen Girlfriend from Hell, I'd recommend picking it up if you're a fan of zany, weird 80s comedies. You could do a lot worse. Okay, so now time to talk about a couple 2022 movies. The first up is going to be David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. And I hate to report this, so I'm not going to have too much to say about this movie. It has a really strong cast. I believe Kristen Stewart's in this and Vigil Morgensen, who I love. It's the same title of his uh, one of his short films from 1970 which I enjoy. And you know, the idea, I guess there's not much similarities to it. I guess deformities and stuff and it's Cronenberg. So you have the body horror element and the title crimes of the future is very vague. And there's a point where these takes place in the future. And these are going to be the crimes by humanity. And the future is what I'd say. So, Essentially, what we have here is people stop feeling pain, and they essentially are doing these weird surgeries, and they cause mutations, and people are developing organs, and they're doing a lot of these extreme body modification, and it's bizarre. So you have these people that pursue that, and they think it's this evolutionary place, and then some people believe that you know it's a mutation, and they got to stop because it's going to ruin the human populace. So you have kind of these factions fighting. Viggo Morganson is like a street performer. He's very popular. He's very beloved by a lot of people, and he's almost worshipped amongst these people that believe it's an evolutionary thing, and. They they want to pass on. See, like, people are worried that if you know these people have changed their organs and then they have uh, offspring and they're born with those organs, they've kind of defeated, you know, they're no longer human and they screw up everything. So it's kind of, we're getting into that detail and stuff. And Now I've heard people say this feels like David Cronenberg directing Brandon Cronenberg movie, which is funny. Um, This movie, it, it's uh, it's I did not really care for it. I don't think it's horribly made. It's well shot. It's well acted. But to me, there's just way too much people whispering under their breath about certain things. That's kind of the entire film in general as people just kind of leaning in and whispering about certain things and just like talking about what's happening there's a lot of exposition, there's a lot of strong dialogue the acting's fine, the acting's well done but at the same time there's some visual things that are great but there's just not enough of it it's just not enough of it and by then I've lost a lot of interest Um, it's just a movie that I don't fully understand you know, I'm not into it is the problem and I think maybe over time I could be into it a little bit more but it's very hard to grab my attention I thought Crimes of the Future was very bland in a weird way. Now a lot of people have said it feels like Cronenberg. Somebody remaking Cronenberg. But it just didn't have the punch. It just didn't grab me like a lot of his other films. Um, maybe it was just a, a lack of a great score. Even though I bet the score by itself sounds good. Maybe it was just a lack of. you know Some, some kind of violent. M- part in there that caught me off guard. It never really got me with the scene. You know, if you look at the films, there's always a scene that just takes you back, and there's usually several. You know, Crash, there's a bunch, where you just like, oh my god, or, or The Brute, or Shivers, or Rabbit, or Scanners, or The Fly. There's just so much good quality about these films, or even Existence. You know, this one just didn't catch me. It could be me. I don't think it's a poorly made film at all. And I think it's amazing that he's directing movies still at this time. It's weird that we have a David Cronenberg film and a Dario Argento film in 20-fucking-22. 20 that is bonkers. I would have never said, guessed that. I would have never thought of that. And I'm really kind of happy that it does happen. And, you know, I hope he makes another one. And I hope this one uh, grows on me. I, I just don't particularly like what I've seen with it. So I'm sorry about that. You know, I don't have as much to say as I should. But Crimes of the Future, I just didn't really love. Okay, the next one is a Shudder exclusive, or it's on Shudder, it's called Slashback. Now this is a movie that's kind of made in like the, uh, it's a Canadian film, but it's kind of like the Inuit kind of group of people, and it reminded me a little bit of the uh, Blood uh, Quantum movie that came out a couple years ago, which kind of focused on Native people, you know, Native Americans type people, they were in Canada though, so it's Native Canadians, um, I believe is what, I don't know the term 100%, uh, indigenous people, so This one, it follows more the Inuit kind of culture and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was very interesting. And it's also by the perspective of four or five kids. So I thought that was really cool. And it's also heavily inspired by, you know, stuff like The Thing. But if you watch the film, you'll notice like shout outs to The Exorcist and other things among a lot of other things and stuff like that. So, um yeah this one I felt I was very mixed on I did overall like it quite a bit if at the end of the day but I feel like they could have went further in some of the subjects so there's four main kind of kids and they're all completely different and they all have their own differences and problems you know and uh, I think that this movie does a really good job of incorporating you know somebody's heritage and history within it because uh, uh, there's not that many movies about Inuits and there's not that many horror movies about Inuits I can't really think of any so the idea that they're putting a lot of this history and a lot of their um, like life and how they live in here as far as as I know into the film I thought was cool also that they have like you know the kids being kids at the same time but just the differences that they have to deal with I thought was really interesting like I said all four of the kids are completely different they do talk like kids so a lot of people will be upset when they're watching these movies I know older people do not like kid dialogue teenage dialogue all the time maybe they just can't pick it up whatever it is but that stuff didn't really bother me now as far as the acting is concerned some of the bit players you know are a little rough they're not perfect um, but I have to say this a lot of the main actresses in the film now, I feel that a lot of the main people in the film speak two different languages, and I'm not sure English is their first 100%. Or, you know, a lot of times that people that have two languages, they learn, they kind of mix them together, so their delivery or their timing or their inflection is not 100% what people are used to. So therefore, people just assume that somebody's a poor actor or somebody's just doing a poor or weird voice, but essentially it's exactly how they speak. And, and it's very probably genuine. I cannot talk about that because I don't know the regional location they're actually from. But to me, it felt like that. It felt like just the way their inflection is, is how everybody talks in the local area. And it's not poor acting. It's just the way it is, if that makes any sense. Now, it didn't sound exactly like the people you'd hear in the Midwest, where I'm from, of course. But that never bothered me watching an, an, a movie from New England or a movie from, you know, Texas or a movie from the UK or Australia. You know, it's just different voices. And these voices aren't often heard on, on film. I'm going to be honest. They're not. You know, there's not very many Native American films. There's not many Inuit films. There's not many, you know, indigenous people films out there. So when you hear these voices, it's it's different for a lot of people. I've heard a few and, you know, I don't I don't think the acting was poor in in a lot of ways. I think it was different for a lot of people to hear that kind of stuff. Now, some of the some of the delivery does come across a little awkward on the bit players and sometimes it does. I will not lie, but essentially what we have here is the opening's pretty good. You know, the opening's pretty t- terrifying. We have this, uh, you know, environmentalist out in the middle of you know this kind of a uh, cold weather, and he's looking around and he sees something in the snow. And we we kind of immediately think, you know, I, melting glaciers, whatever, whatever. I was thinking they were going to go the more environmentalist kind of film here, you know, uh, you know, kind of a earth-attacking green film or something along those lines, like uh, you know what is it, the um, Larry Pheasant movie, The Last Winter. So essentially, this guy's attacked by something in the uh, snow he disappears and over time you know the group of kids take the boat out um, that they shouldn't and they go out and they, they find something really weird this polar bear that's not moving correctly and it turns out it has this strange parasite. Aliens have been evading so obviously people are going to think attack the block and the kids got going to fight them aliens have invaded and they have these weird parasitic creatures that take over animals the polar bear looked absolutely terrifying the way it moved the way it kept the distance I thought that was really effective and eventually of course these things are going to ter- kind of attack people now I would have liked more thing. Less, you know, kind of just in like more like more thing, less like um, zombie kind of style thing. Because we have a couple people. Although the zombies do look creepy as shit, and I, I like the tentacle stuff coming out, and I love the idea that four four girls got to whoop ass and take names and save this town. That's cool stuff. A couple people do die. Um, The special effects are solid. You know, CGI on some of the stuff. It looks good. I thought the polar bear looked cool. I thought he was scary. I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to see more mutations, I think, is what I was looking for. But what I'm looking for and what the directors wanted to do are two different things, and you shouldn't hold the movie for, you know, you shouldn't hold it really against it. So, overall, I enjoyed it. I thought that they had nice touches within the characters that kind of reflected, you know, this kind of culture that I'm not... Too familiar with now like i said you know it could be completely inaccurate and i wouldn't know the difference so it's kind of like when i went to see i know this is a dumb comparison and probably insulting but guardians of the galaxy and i knew the characters only slightly so if they changed anything there's no, no sweat off my ass, you know, but like if I, I watched the thing or Spider-Man and he's completely changed for a negative way in a stupid way, like now Spider-Man has to eat chewing tobacco and spits it in all the villain's eyes. I'm like, why is this the thing? You know, I'd be confused. So like, you know, I'm just saying like, so like, I don't, and this is, that was a dumb comparison, but you know, I said, slashback, it's on shutter. It's not going to be for everybody. I think it's worth a look to at least get a glimpse of, you know, a different culture. And, you know, it is like the thing. There is a shout out to actresses. There's shout outs to a lot of films I noticed, but hey, it is have some downtime. And a lot of character development. So if it's not your thing, I did enjoy it though. It's flashback. Okay, the last one up is the Patreon pick, and I think this was Jim Simon. He told me pick something from 2020. This was a long time ago that I had not got a chance to see. So I finally drew out Run. Run is on Hulu, and uh, I don't have that much to say about Run. That doesn't. It's not a negative thing here. But um, I, I skipped this one in 2020. I don't know why. I heard good things. I was just burnout, and I was like, I don't want to watch a gaslighting kind of style story. I just had my mind made up about it. So Run is based on a true story, if I'm not mistaken. And it's kind of their misery style story here. We have this mother, um, she a tremendous performance by the mother. I can't think of her name. She's an American horse story, I, I was been told. So essentially this mother has this troubled birth. Uh, uh, the kid is very sick and we kind of flash forward. She's in some sort of like coping group where parents are going to lose their kids. They're going to go off to college. It's like a, you know, kind of like a midlife crisis thing for them. And all these people are talking. And I thought the way they shot the scene was brilliant because you see no one's face until you get to the mother's face and she has this big speech. It was just kind of a really nice touch. And they do that a lot in this movie. though They won't show anyone's face when they're going like a panicking just until they get to the main character you see their face you know um, like they're on all alone or they're just like being completely isolated from the group or, or obviously to signify that this is the important thing you know and they have rest is background noise that this character is listening to what they're saying and so we're and you're them and you're just not been to that you're not into the point where you're sitting yet i don't know if that makes any sense to anybody but i thought that stuff was really good um so essentially she goes on that she doesn't care that her daughter's moving out she's tough she's strong and uh, our daughter, we meet her. She's uh, she's paralyzed. She has a lot of problems. In the beginning, we see this list of you know symptoms and diseases that she has, and all this kind of stuff. It's very tragic. As we, as we fast forward, um, some strange things she starts to notice. At first, she notices you know the pill bottle when she's trying to she's diabetic. She's trying to steal some chocolates. The pill bottle she sees is not prescribed to her, so she's very confused by it. Um, and she starts to do some independent research. I know everybody loves those, those that thing She starts to do some research and she as she digs deeper, she realizes, you know, her mother is doing some things that she doesn't think are right, and her mother not might not even be who she says she is. And the reveals are pretty crazy. And there's a couple reveals in here that I didn't see coming. You know, I thought it was gonna be kind of your domineering mother kind of storyline, but it's it's something different than that. And we get some really tense moments, some really great acting for mother and daughter, particularly the mother when it starts to have the breakdown, reminding me of Ariel Quinn from The Stepfather. Who am I here? You know, anybody's ever seen that film? That line is very iconic and and this stuff with her, I feel like those breakdowns were not not dis, dissimilar to that. So there's a brilliant scene in here spoiler that I loved because i uh, that year I think or the year after this movie called Alone. And it was very well made, but very typical and very by the book and by the numbers, how things happen. You know, I'm running from this person, trust me. And then the guy's like, she's crazy. You don't want to trust her. And then the guy's like, I don't know. And I'm like, cut this out. Same thing happens in hush where he's like, um, where the villain is obviously a villain and convinces this innocent person that something's wrong with the person that they're trying to help. I hate that shit. Stop doing that shit. That shit's fucking old. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. So, um, as good as well made as hush and alone are, Big, big script garbage moments there. It's over. This moment, we have the mailman who actually decides to help her and I was just like, this is a brilliant scene. The way it's handled, the way the mailman acts is very human. And maybe because it's based on a true story, they actually did the right thing for once. I don't know if, how detailed the real story is gonna be loosely based, but that stuff was so refreshing to see that. It just made me happy. It made the movie, you know, g- really good. And I was like, maybe I'm not on a seven and a half instead of a seven or something like that. It just was something that was just refreshing to see for once, for once in your life, do the thing that's not so cliche and more realistic for the love of God. Don't write yourself in a corner and then just be stupid about it. Okay. So, anyways, I thought that stuff was great. Um, yeah, it's a really solid movie. I enjoyed it, and the very ending is kind of dark. Uh, but yeah, run, good stuff. If you have Hulu, check it out. You could do a lot fucking worse than this. This is good stuff. I, I wish I would have sold it for 2020. Okay, let's get in these questions, comments, concerns. Ken Coakley, I'm dying to get the Sunny Chiba box set. One of my favorite Sunny Chiba films that hasn't seen the light of the day on Blu ray is a movie called He did called Roaring Fire. The film also features a pro wrestler at the time, Abula the Butcher. I know him. Another one that hasn't been released on Blu-ray to my knowledge is Shogun's Ninja. That was the movie that got me in the sunny Chiba. I kid. Umberto Lenzi's, uh, Umberto Lenzi's Eyeball is a fun flick. I watched it some years back. What the flick? I've been uh, I, I've been watching everything from the Universal set as well, and I agree with you 100% about Spanish Dracula. Thank you. Elk Vomit, will you be picking up the Shawshank Volume 2? Been a minute since you had some Kung Fu flicks on here. I know, I did pick it up. I don't know if I'll be covering it on the show. It depends. Nick Mua, I can see your point about Spanish Dracula. It feels a bit clunky. This often happens, it seems, when trying to appease the foreign market. Questions: How have you? Uh, how would you breathe or breathe new life into Universal horror if you had the chance? Ooh, if I got to, um, I would keep it gothic. I know I would make them period pieces. I know it's not new life, but so many of these people, they go to make a Universal movie and they just like, well, we're gonna make it like this. We're gonna make it like that and I would basically just do the universal horror films, but I would incorporate, you know, more, I would want, like, you know, Quasimodo in there, although he really wasn't there. There was Hunchbacks, I would do that, but I tried to bring in the Phantom than the Hunchback, you know, Dr. Jekyll, these other classic monsters within the Universal Monsters, and I would create the universe. I would actually create the universe and it wouldn't be Action Universe, it would be a horror universe. It would be, you'd be seeing House of Frankenstein, you'd be seeing, you know, Phantom of the Opera and Dracula, you know, uh, fa- like, uh, uh, Opera of Blood or something like that, and they'd cross over. Like, I'd do crossovers that we hadn't fucking scene. Like, yes, I don't know how it's going to work, but Creature from the Black Lagoon is going to somehow meet the Wolfman. This kind of shit like that. You know, like, let's say the Wolfman hears of a rare fucking uh, uh, vine or or, um, uh, ailment in, like, the Amazon jungle or something, and and he goes there to get it. Boom it's not there or it's, it's by the creature it's, it's guarded whatever and the creature and the wolf man got to duke it out I would try to incorporate this as many monsters as physically possible without making it a marvel or action film and I would want these crossovers I would try to bring in my own classic horror actors you know I would bring in you know Graham Skipper could be part of the universal monster we talked about him last week whatever and, and maybe even Jeffrey Combs could play you know like the bad scientist I would bring in as many horror icons as I can that I don't think fucking do it for a paycheck and I would try to incorporate mixing the monsters together and making it gothic and making it horror and making them period pieces i do not want to see the invisible i know people love that invisible man movie that's not what i want to see it doesn't mean it's a bad movie it just means i don't like it and i don't want to watch it and i don't think it's very good but it doesn't mean shit okay it just that's my opinion i just not interested in that i'm not interested in that mummy movie okay i'm interested in classic horror updated that's what i want to see I want to see fucking Frankenstein's monster. I I want to see. I don't want to see Van fucking Helsing crap. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I went off. I guess I had more to say about it than I thought. Um, please name some of your favorite Spanish horror films. Well, we got anything by Jorge Grau, um, you know, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, some of the rape-revenge movie he did, Hunting Ground, and then, of course, Tombs of the Blind Dead is a classic, and then you got a bunch of them. Geez, um, is Mexican, but um, th- those are some off the top of my head, and then if you count Del Toro stuff, which I believe was made in, is he Mexican, but made in Spain? I think he made some of his films in Spain, like uh, Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone. Those are fantastic films. There's a tons of Spanish horror films just off the top of my head. Jose La Raz, I believe, is a Spanish film horror director. His films are great, although they're co-production, so he didn't make all his films in Spain, but if you want to count Vampires or something like that, or what's the one he did with Donald Pleasant's Daughter, which is Symptoms, which is a fantastic movie. I didn't do research, this is shit off off the top of my head, but I think Symptoms technically qualifies as a, as a UK film, so here's what you get at when you talk about Spanish or Italian horror. And if it's not more modern, they're definitely all co-production. Let's say Corpse's Lies is Italian-Spanish co-production, um, so, so it gets all mixed up It's strange and, and weird like that, but there's tons of great Spanish horror films and everything like that, so um, like I'd have to literally go down a list and see which Spanish horror films which ones are made in Spain but there's a million great ones um, then we have uh, three what's the most ridiculous Jao title you remember I'm sure there's dozens but Iguana, Iguana with the tongue of fire is pretty fucking silly um, now the trailer for what have you done to Solange it's a great title but the trailer is insane it's like what have you done to Solange it says it like 50 times so to the point then it gets stuck in your fucking head I mean um, your vice is a locked room and only I have the key that's pretty insane although I I don't i don't know how giallo it is i guess it counts as a giallo you know it's this it's an italian thriller with um, luigi pastilli and stuff and so like there's a lot of crazy long titles the longer the title you get the stranger they are um and then sometimes you just get weird ones like seven bloodstained Orchids. there's tons and tons i don't know eyeballs more of a slasher than a giallo but still the title's absurd and then uh okay um Until next week, and sir, enjoy Black Friday. Thank you. And speaking of Black Friday, I just want to know what's the best deal you got on Black Friday because this probably won't be up till Saturday. What I mean for the patrons, and then Wednesday for everyone else. What's the best deal you got on Black Friday? Tell me some of the deals you got. We're gonna hop into that update. Pretty quick update. Some of the uh, Black Friday stuff went on sale pretty quick. Everything, everywhere at. All at, all at once now this was 10 bucks on 4k k heard lots of cool things about it looks absolutely bonkers yeah definitely wanted to check it out and uh, jeremy wanted to see it too so that's cool um lost boys ten dollars couldn't pass up lost boys don't know how much i like that cover art love the movie though Joel schumacher you know classic 80s vampire um slash kids movie i know people would say it's not great cast it's got a lot of cool people in it always love this one good stuff and last, this is the quickest update of all time, right? And we have Breakdown. The Paramount stuff was on sale from um, on, on this whole week because of Black Friday and all this kind of shit. So I wanted to get these Paramount selects. And Breakdown is a great movie with Kurt Russell, amazing cast. Um, always like this one really good thriller so I was like boom right when this popped up I was like well gotta get breakdown that'd be really great to have um, yeah I noticed that I think the two cameras although they're set in the same quality they don't necessarily look the same so when we switch between camera A and B there might be some slight ca- uh, uh, color quality grading difference and I apologize for that although the settings are the same sometimes things just don't look the same on these qu- these cameras so I apologize for that okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one me me we